That's what happens when you get around Judy too long. You become bossy, Robert. So I didn't say that, but just just warn you. <laughs> if you will, get your Bibles and turn with me to Luke chapter 11. But I'm also going to invite you to turn to Jonah, the book of Jonah, because that's where we're going to be at today. But we're going to look at Luke's version more than anything else. He calls this one greater than Jonah. Now, before we read this, let me just share with you a little bit about this book. Some of you are familiar with the story of Jonah, and others may not be quite that familiar with it. In order to understand what Jesus is saying here, it's important to understand who Jonah was. I have loved the story of Jonah ever since our two boys. Now, I've shared before, I didn't grow up in church. And I really didn't know the Jonah story until after we got married and after our first son was born and so forth. And when he got in the Sunday school age, and of course our other son came along, I've loved the story ever since. It's just, it's a, it's a fun story. In fact, it's a whale of a story. I just put it that way. <laughs> some people simply pass it off as some ancient fish story. Now, fishermen are known to be, to exaggerate. Let's just put it that way. I know we've got some fishermen in here, so I've got to be careful what I say. But one fisherman returned from the lake and bragged about that he caught a bass so big it took a winch to get into the boat and a crane to get it up on the dock. He claimed it was so big that the scales were not large enough to weigh it. But before he released it back into the lake waters, he took a picture. And the picture itself weighed at least 10 pounds. The... I saw a sign in a barbershop one time years ago, and it just, now I'm not a fisherman, never have been, never will be, because what I like to do on the boat is throw rocks, and fishermen don't seem to like that for some reason. I don't know why that is, but I heard this, I saw this little sign in a barbershop one time, and it said, the only time a fisherman tells the truth is when he calls another fisherman a liar. So I don't know if that's true or not, we'll leave it there, but this is the story of Jonah. Now, I know you've heard all about it and probably read it many times, but yet there's some tremendous things we can gain out of this story because it all pictures you and I. We're the same way as Jonah was. The story of Jonah begins very simply. In fact, it says in Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, and again, I'm going to read it out of the, uh, Luke's version, but let me just get this in here first. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But then it also says right after that, But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Now, let's go back to the Luke version. Luke chapter 11, verse 29 through 32. I'm going to ask you if you would to stand with me as I read this. This is the passage we're going to concentrate on today. And while the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. It seeks a sign, and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up in the judgment with the men of, his gener of this generation, and condemn them, for she came from the, from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and agreed, indeed, excuse me, indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. 
The men of Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and indeed a greater than Jonah is here. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. Lord, even though we have to sometimes make changes and adjust things, that, Lord, we still had a, a sweet service in our music. We just pray that you'll take that music and those words of those songs and just mold them into our hearts. And that, Lord, we can continue to worship and praise as we go through this service today. And, Lord, just, we just know your presence is here. And we just ask, us now, ask you now that you would just guide our thoughts and our hearts, that, Lord, we would be the people you want us to be. And, Lord, if you want to speak to each one of us, then speak to us through these passages. All these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Luke calls this, One Greater Than Jonah Is Here. Now, the story of Jonah begins very simply, as I said. Jonah chapter 1, verse 1 through 3, if you've got those verses there, it just simply says that God, the word of the Lord came to Jonah and of Amittai, saying, Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it, because its wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah ran away from the Lord and headed to Tarshish. Jonah 1, 1 through 3. The amazing thing about God's call is that Jonah was directed to go to people who were not Jews. Now, I had never noticed that before. I, I've, I'm sure I've read it many times, but it just it never had dawned on me that he called him to go to people that were not Jews. Some have called Jonah the first missionary because even at this time we see that God was interested in all people not just the Jews. We have in our minds sometimes that God only dealt with the Jews in the Old Testament. That's who it was. And they are His chosen people. No question about that. But here is proof that He cared about all people. Nineveh was a very wicked city. I mean, it was brutal to live in the Nineveh area. They were barbaric as you can get. And so Jonah didn't like that ideal. For each of us, God has a Nineveh that is a plan for our lives that He wants us to follow. Everyone that's sitting in this room, God has a plan for your life. He's already laid it out, just like He did for Jonah. Now, you can be like Jonah and refuse to go, but you're going to get yourself in a well of a problem before long. And so we should follow God's will. We should try to find it for our life. So here He was. God called Him, go to Nineveh, and I'll bring blessings upon His head. But Jonah hopped on, a, hopped on board of a ship headed for Tarshish, which is the exact opposite direction from Nineveh. Each of us also has a Tarshish in our life. It is what we want to do. Did you catch that? God has a plan for life, what He wants us to do, but yet we've also got a Tarshish in our life that we, this is what I want to do. And many times... That's where we make a big mistake. That's where Jonah made a big mistake. He had the blessings of God. He had everything that he needed to have a successful campaign. And you'll find in a few minutes, he had a very successful campaign. Not immediately. God had to sort of get his attention. But nonetheless, he had a, a campaign that was very successful. In fact, the Bible says that every person in the city came to, know the, came to repent before the Lord. Each of us has a... Nineveh, where God plans on us to do, 
And each of us has a Tarsus, what we want to do. And that becomes the conflict if we're not careful. It was with Jonah and it is with us. It's what we want to do. God has a plan, a will for your life. You have a Nineveh. And if you will love God and seek Him through His Word and prayer, He will show you what is your Nineveh. Well, I don't know if I want to go to that. That doesn't sound too good of a place. But if God takes you there, He'll give you everything you need. He will give you whatever you need to, uh, to do the job He's called you to do. There are some people today, probably in this group, that's running from God as we speak. Maybe He's calling you to be a Christian and you haven't yet surrendered to that. Or maybe it's to be baptized after becoming a Christian. Or to serve Him in some capacity around this church. We have needs of all kinds around this church. We need your help. In Sunday school classes and with the youth in different places, there are needs in this church. And maybe that's what you're running from this morning. Be careful. You're running away from what God's called you to. He's calling you to be a Christian or to be baptized or to serve Him in some capacity. It doesn't have to be full-time Christian work, but something around the church. You can help in some area. If you haven't noticed this week, and it's probably covered up a little bit, but we're getting our parking lot striped for all of our handicapped parking out here. Now, the weather didn't cooperate the last few days, but it's getting there. And it's already, you can see signs, and just, uh, in fact, if you parked in this front row, you probably have a yellow stripe down the car before you go home today. But <clears throat> that's what they did last week anyway. But, it, it's, but God's called us to some specific duty or challenge or work, whatever you want to call it. Now, God doesn't call everybody to be preachers or Sunday school teachers, but He has a job for each one of us. And that's why it's important for you to be here every week. Maybe you could say something in that class that nobody else can say and bring it out in a way that it makes sense to everybody. The first thing we see about Jonah, like Jonah, you need to know you can run from God, but you can't hide. There is no place for you to hide from God. No matter where you go, He's going to know where you're at. You can go there if you want to, but be careful. That's usually where the problems start happening. And Jonah can announce for that. Jonah got, on a, got aboard a ship to sail to Tarshish, and a terrible storm began to arise. Jonah suspected he was the cause of the storm. So he asked the sailors, now listen to this. Throw me overboard, he said. He was ready to die. Now, he was called to Nineveh to hold a great revival. He didn't want to go to Nineveh. He wanted to go where he wanted to go. And look what it got him in. A whole mess of problems. So he asked the sailors to throw him overboard. He was ready to die. As they tossed him over the side of the ship into the heaving waves... Jonah must have thought, well, this is the end for me. I sure can't swim the coast right now. It's all over. I'm, I'm finished. But what he didn't realize is that God had prepared a special fish for him. The Lord provided a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was inside the, the fish three days and three nights. Now, that's what Jonah 1.17, by the way. We talk about Jonah and the whale, but the word literally means a sea creature. 
It's never actually called a whale. We don't know what it was. It might have been a giant fish that God prepared just for this purpose. It might have been something else. I don't know what it was. But I do know this. We talk about Jonah and the whale, but the word again literally means sea creature. So God could have specifically designed this fish, if you, let's call it that, for this purpose. But regardless, it worked. It got his attention. The Hebrew phrase for God provided a great fish literally means he prepared a fish. Perhaps it was a special fish that God prepared just for this porpoise. I knew y'all wouldn't like that one. I told Judy not to put it in here, but she did anyway. <laughs> maybe it was all, maybe that when that fish swallowed him, that he slept on a foam blubber mattress. Don't get hung on what kind of creature it is, or you'll miss the point. Understand that God was in charge, and you can run from God as much as you want to, but you can never hide from Him. And so many times we have Christian people that try to run away from God's call for their life. Maybe they've become a Christian. Maybe they've gone through the baptism waters. Maybe they've joined a church. But they just don't want to serve in the capacity of a church. Be careful. God can prepare something for you that can make you change your mind. Here's the next lesson. Sometimes God uses adversity to get our attention. There was a storm, and then there was a fish. Some of us are like old Jonah. We're so hard-headed and stubborn, God has to use adversity to get our attention. Now, the Bible makes it clear that God is not the author of evil, but He can and will use troubling circumstances to get our attention. I recall hearing a story some years ago or reading it somewhere, whatever it was, but about a, back in the days when they had mules and the guys would go out and plow their fields with mules, mules and so forth. And this one man had a stubborn old mule. Now, I've never been around mules, but I understand they can be pretty stubborn sometimes. And it, so what he did was he took a two-by-four. He couldn't get that mule to move, so he got him a two-by-four and whacked him right between the eyes of that two-by-four. Now, people standing around that saw that, and they didn't like that. Man, you shouldn't be so mean to your mule. He said, I wasn't mean to him. All I was doing was trying to get his attention. Sometimes God may have to whack us somewhere to get our attention of what he wants us to do. God can do anything he chooses. He can bring adversity in your life if he chooses to get your attention. And I'm afraid there's a lot of Christians that live in adversity right now because we're not listening to what God tells us to do. And I'm talking about the very simple little things. Well, you need to be involved in this Sunday school class. You need to teach this Sunday school class. You need to get, teach this group of boys over here, or maybe girls over here. You need to be doing something in the church. God didn't invent the church for you to sit, sour, and serve, whichever one it is. When someone complained about this method, he said, I didn't mistreat that mule. I just got his attention. Sometimes God may have to get our attention. Here's what he did. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Jonah 2, verse 1 and 2. 
when Jonah was standing on the dry ground with the blue skies over him, did you ever hear him praying at that moment? He wasn't praying. It was only after God brought adversity in his life that all of a sudden he found himself in a well of a problem and he began to remember, oh yeah, I think I might need to be praying right now. When Jonah was standing on dry ground, he didn't do that. But when God got his attention by bringing him to a place where he was in the belly of a whale. Now think about that a minute. Can you even imagine the, the stench, the smell, the grossness of all that? You know, I've, I remember reading this story or sharing this story one time. It had been years ago. and I just added a little part in there that I couldn't help but add. But what would you like, what would it have been like if you had been a fisherman sitting on the beach on that day? All of a sudden, here comes this huge, big fish almost up to the ground level. His mouth opens wide, and the Bible says he vomited Jonah out on dry ground. Now, Jonah hit the road running, but I bet if there was a fisherman there beside him, he did too, probably the other direction. I don't know. But now, I just, I just think that may have happened. I don't know. But the Lord, in his distress, he became a praying man. I've told you many times that God meets us at the point of total depression and desperation. That's where Jonah was, and it may be where some of you are today too. You say, well, I'm not in the lake. I'm not in the belly of a whale. Be careful. You might wind up there. He can, if he can prepare a fish big enough to swallow a man, he can prepare something to swallow you up too. It may be a financial calamity. It may be other things. It may be sickness. Some of you are hurting and suffering in a variety of ways. And I don't know what your point of pain is, but God does. He knows exactly where you're at today. He knows what you're feeling. He knows if you're discouraged. He knows if you're encouraged. He knows all about you, even more than you know about you. Have you ever thought that God wants to use your distress to cause you to seek Him more? God can use whatever He's got you in. It may be a disease. It may be something that's just taking your life a little bit. Every day a little bit more. And it just, pain is terrible. He may be getting you where He can use you. Because remember, He's got the will, but we like to take the other road sometimes. The next thing we see, God is willing to give us a second chance. Jonah failed on the first try, but that didn't make Jonah a failure. I start to say a failure. A failure. God wasn't through with Jonah. God still has something for him to do. Then it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah 3.1. I like that phrase, a second time. I don't know about you, but I've blown it more than two times. I mean, I need third, fourth, and fifth chances sometimes. And still do. Because I'm hard-headed sometimes. And I don't listen to what God's saying. And He has to give me another chance and another chance and another chance. But thank goodness we gave, give, serve a God of a second chance at least. I've blown it 
and failed so many times, but he hasn't given up on me. And he won't give up on you either. I remember hearing a, on TV not too long ago, it's talking. It's one of these places where they shoot the rockets off down in Florida, I believe it is, and all those places, Cape Canaveral used to be. I don't know if it's still the same place or not. But anyway, this engineer, this NASA engineer, was talking sort of this interview and so forth, and he said something that I couldn't help but jot it down because I thought, that's interesting. Here's what it said. Listening to one of those NASA engineers that designed these spacecraft and all this kind of stuff, talking about those huge rockets how they blast off, there is a perfect trajectory or flight path was always programmed in the computer. But then he said, but due to weather conditions or slight differential thrust, thrust forces, the original tra trajectory was never followed. He said each time when the rocket got the slightest bit off its original course, the computer would calculate a new trajectory and when it got slightly off course again, a new flight plan was calculated again. said it happens about 10 to 15 times every time they shoot a, one of those big rockets off. I'd never heard that before. But you know what that reminds me of? Me and you. God's will for your life is like that. God has a perfect plan for your life. It's, you're the one that it fits to the T. Nobody else has the same plan for God's plan for your life than you do. Now, there's some a lot similar, but nobody has the exact one. God has the perfect plan for your life, but you have gotten slightly off course. And God needs to reprogram you back to where He wants you to be. He needs to bring you back to that right trajectory so you can go the path of these does. He doesn't just give up on you. He adjusts the plan and gives you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance, and so on and so forth. Of your life continues toward the ultimate goal He has for you. Do you know what God's plan for every one of us in this room is, without a question? To conform your life to the image of Jesus Christ. That's what God's plan for every one of us is. Now, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you've ever got off. Because I'd have to raise both of mine and my feet too, for that matter. But yet, that's what God's plan for each one of us. That doesn't mean that's total. But that's what His plan is. His plan is to conform your life to the image of Jesus Christ. Now, God is the God of the second chances. But that also doesn't mean He gives you unlimited chances. One day, you've had so many chances, God says, well, you're never going to correct it. I'll just bring you home. And that's not a pleasant thing for people like us. He requires obedience at some point. Our job is to recognize that God does give second chances, and we must respond in obedience like Jonah did. Jonah was off target. He went the entire opposite direction. God brought him back and gave him a second chance. We'll see what happened in just a little bit. When Jonah said, yes, Lord, God took over. That fish, as the Bible says, vomited him, Jonah, up on dry land. I guess a disobedient servant even makes a big fish sick. How about that? 
Makes him sick to his stomach. I'm certain that Jonah hit the road running, hit the beach running, straight to Nineveh. After three days inside a fish, he probably looked and smelt a little different. Do you think? In fact, some writers have suggested that the gastric and acid probably bleached his skin and hair and had an unusual color. He didn't let his appearance now hinder him, though. He went to the great Gentile city of Nineveh and conducted the great Nineveh evangelistic crusade. Can you imagine the impact of this man's testimony? Can you imagine him walking in our church, bleached out from all the gastric acids and so forth, and his hair a different color, probably pure white, sitting in our group here? And somebody sitting close to him says, well, that don't smell too good. Let's move a little bit. <laughs> but this is where Jonah was. When Jonah preached God's message, the Bible says we read the entire city repented in sackcloth and ashes. And remember, Jonah's first obedience was not obedience. He didn't want to do it. He wanted to go where he wanted to go. But God changed his mind on where he was going. He brought him to where he had him. That brings us to the next point. God can use you if you're obedient, even if you're not perfect. I know some of you here are perfect because I've heard you say that. <clears throat> no, I haven't. None of us are perfect. But yet God can use you no matter where you're at in life, even if you aren't perfect, if you'll be obedient. That's all he asked. Jonah was greatly displeased by the outcome of this revival that happened. Now, he went to this town. He got up. He preached. The whole city repented. Can't you imagine having a revival like that in Copper's Cove? I mean, that would be fantastic. What is there, 30,000 people live here roughly? I think it is. Some more than that number anyway. Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. Here's what he said next in Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Listen to what his, his excuse is. Oh, Lord, this is not what I said when I still was at home. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, oh, Lord, take my life away, for it is better for me to die than to live. Even though God used him, Jonah was so discouraged, he was ready to die again. He complained to the Lord because the entire city repented. I thought that's what he was supposed to do, get them to repent. God blessed it exactly as he had planned, and it made Jonah mad. He got angry. These heathen don't need the Word of God. And God said, oh, yes, they do. They don't need the compassion of God. And God said, yes, they do. Even though God used him, Jonah was so discouraged, again, he was ready to die. He complained to the Lord because the entire city repented. We see here that Jonah's motives weren't exactly pure. He did what he did because God commanded him to do it, not because he had compassion on those people. Doesn't that sound like some of us sometimes? Okay, God told me to do it, so I'm going to do it, but I sure don't want to do this. 
I'll teach that group of boys, but I don't want to. That's just not my thing. No wonder it doesn't work. Here's what Apostle Paul wrote, reference to those who preach with a wrong motive. Now, that doesn't sound like a good thing, but here's what he wrote. By the way, this, <coughs> excuse me. this is in Philippians 1.18. Paul wrote, what does it matter to those who preach the, with the wrong motive? Paul says, what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, Philippians 1.18. Many of you remember the people on TV some years ago, seemed like about 20 years ago, Faye and uh, uh, Tammy Faye and Jim and Tammy Faye Baker. That's what it was. Y'all remember? Everybody remember them? I mean, you know, they had, you know, much of their ministry was based on, in my personal opinion, greed and some misleading claims. But nonetheless, in spite of the failures, God used even them to touch and change lives. That confirms what Paul just said. What does it matter what motive they preach as long as they preach Jesus? Now, that doesn't mean we're to hijack the gospel and preach something else. But yet God can use people that don't even have pure motives sometimes to get them to produce other people. If God can use Jim and Tammy Faye and a pouting prophet, God can use you and me. I remember a preacher was delivering a message at one of our Southern Baptist conferences some years ago, and I can't recall his name or really anything he said except this one line, and I jotted it down. I've kept it for several years now. He said, God can strike a mighty lick with a crooked stick. And there's a lot of truth in that. I've known some preachers that got behind the pulpit and preached and then later became saved. Southern Baptist preachers. I've got a friend that did the very thing. Not too long ago, we was in the Saginaw area where Judy and I grew up at, and we ran across him and his wife, and they was at a restaurant, and we just happened to go in the same restaurant, and we was talking about him. And, and, just, and he surrendered to preach about the same time I did, maybe a little bit before me, in fact. But we got to talking, and I said, well, how's everything going? So far? he said, well, he says, fine, finally. I said, what do you mean, finally? He said, I got saved not too awful long ago. I said, wait a minute. You're a preacher at a church. You're the pastor of a church. Yeah, but I didn't have Jesus in my life. Just because you stand up behind a platform and proclaim Jesus doesn't mean you have to have him. We can fool a lot of people. Don't wait until you reach perfection before you start serving God because you'll never get there. Just start obeying him right now. That's the story of Jonah. Now let's look at the sign of Jonah that we talked about. The people following Jesus was demanding some kind of a sign or a miracle to prove that he was really the Messiah. Jesus always resisted outside requests to do miracles to simply prove his power. On the morning of the crucifixion, Herod demanded some kind of a miracle, and he would let Jesus go. Jesus didn't even give him a reply. However, he did allow that one sign would be given to them, and it was the sign of Jonah. Now, what's the sign of Jonah? Is that that fish we see on cars, you know, the little fish you stick on your car? Is that the sign of Jonah? No, it's not. 
actually, we don't have to wonder what it is because in the parallel passage in Matthew of this passage, we read these words. The sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus. The sign of Jonah is the resurrection of Jesus. It's important to note that the resurrection sets Jesus apart from all others. In Matthew 12, Jesus makes the connection. For as Jonah was three days and nights in the belly of a huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. He was predicting his own death and burial in the grave. But he is also reporting his resurrection from the grave that would happen. It's worth noting that Jesus, you know, I've heard people say that, well, Jonah shouldn't be in the Bible because he was never a true character. Well, let me show you, Jesus thought he was. Jesus considering jo- considered Jonah to be a real historical character and the story of Jonah to be a true account because he put it in the Bible. And folks, every word in the Bible is a true word. It doesn't matter what it is. It was a metaphor for something, someone being swallowed in the grave by death. Jonah was as good as dead. If God hadn't delivered him by causing that fish to regurgitate him, it was if Jonah was raised from the dead, but he later, later died, of course. One greater than Jonah is here, we're told. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, and he's alive forevermore. When Jesus spoke these words, he knew that in just a matter of a few months that he would be nailed to the cross, that he would suffer and he would die. He also knew that he'd be buried, and after three days he'd walk out of that tomb alive as you and I are today. This wasn't the only time that he predicted his resurrection. (coughs) Excuse me. John records that Jesus said in John 2.19, Destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. Before you can relate to God, you must deal with the issue of the resurrection of Jesus. Because everything we base, everything we believe on is based around the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you don't believe that, it's a bad time. The four gospel writers Report, Jesus did come back from the dead. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, that over 500 people were eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ. The entire message and validity of the Christian faith raises, rises and falls on Jesus' resurrection. At the same time of all the great people who ever lived, including Buddha, Muhammad, Confucius, Moses, Jesus is the only one who claims he would rise from the dead. That ought to make a Baptist shout. We quote often John 3.16 that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Probably most of you could repeat that without even looking. Couldn't, couldn't you? Raise your hand if you could. Don't, don't do it right now, but we'll We quote that verse, but let me ask you a question. We don't really know what the word believe is talking about sometimes. What do you have to believe? Believe that that God exists. You can believe that and go to hell tomorrow. What do you have to believe then? 
that Jesus was born of a virgin and performed miracles and died on the cross. No, that's not it. That's not enough. Romans chapter 10, verse 9, the key point of belief is the resurrection of Jesus. Here's what it says. If you, uh, Romans 10, 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Period. Do we believe it really? Do we really believe that? Amen. I want to stop and just intellectually consider you to consider this point. Either Jesus was raised from the dead or he wasn't. One of the, only two choices. Either he was physically raised from the dead or he wasn't. I believe it for two reasons. First, I believe it because of the testimonies of those who saw him alive. Was it a hoax they concocted? If it was a hoax, then how did the followers of Jesus benefit from that? If someone is devious enough to formulate a hoax, there must be some selfish ulterior motive. The first generation of Christians who claimed to have seen Jesus alive were tortured and killed for their message. If it had been a hoax, don't you think at least, at least one of those people would have cracked under the torture that they were doing and said, I told a lie. This is not true. It was a hoax we put on you. Stop this fire. Don't light the fire on the stake. Somebody out of that group of over 500 people that saw him alive would have not gone that far. We made it up. Untie me from the stake and don't light the fire on it. But the record is clear that not a single one that claimed to have seen Jesus ever changed their story, even unto death. But here's another reason that I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I believe Jesus is alive because just a few minutes ago before this service, I talked to him, and he talked to me. He walks with me. He talks with me a long, nice, narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You ask me how I know He lives? He lives within my heart. Jesus said the one sign to verify everything else He did and said would be the sign of Jonah, the resurrection. Have you understood that sign yet? It's sad that we often only celebrate the resurrection on Easter. It's the one most glorious event in the history of mankind. Robert Lowry wrote a beautiful poem that has been put to music, and we usually dust it off on Easter and sing it. Here's the words to it. You can read along with me because you know them by heart, I'm sure. Death cannot keep its prey, Jesus my Savior. He tore the bars away, Jesus my Lord. Up from the grave he arose with, with a mighty triumph o'er his foes. He arose a victor from the dark domain and he lives forever with his saints to reign. He arose, he arose, hallelujah, Christ arose. And here's the last line, the last thought. What's the substance of Jesus' message here? And I believe it's simply put, here it is. Your relationship with God should be based on faith, not on signs.
Let's stand together. Dear God, we thank you, Lord, for this time you've brought us together today. Oh, we know the weather's not the best outside, but, Lord, it's warm and cozy in here because your Spirit's here first. Lord, make us realize how important the cross was and the resurrection was to each one of us and what it means to us. And that, Lord, we can trust in it. And that, Lord, we can obey it in all ways. Go with us now with this invitation. Lord, your heart, your, speak to our hearts. And, Lord, don't let a person in this room leave this room without Jesus Christ in their life. Take this service and let it be your service. It's not mine, it's yours. Lord, use it the way you want it. We turn it over to you. Our lives, our church, our fellow individuals speak to their hearts. Break their hearts if necessary to get us where you want us to be. And all these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen.